welcome to this episode of Inside the Vault. Today, we're excited to have Jolly Singh join us from CIM. Jolly currently serves as the Managing Director of Portfolio Oversight at CIM. He is actively involved in the composition, operations, and investment priorities for CIM's open-end real estate funds. Prior to joining CIM in 2010, Mr. Singh was an associate in the real estate, gaming, and lodging investment banking group at Bank of America Merrill Lynch. He started his career at Corporate Executive Board um, as an analyst, where he held positions of increasing responsibility. CIM, as many of you know, is a community-focused real estate and infrastructure owner, operator, and lender and developer. Since 1994, CIM has managed projects in communities across the Americas on behalf of its own account and its partners, co-investors, and shareholders. CIM has $29.3 billion in assets with offerings to institutional and retail partners across the risk return spectrum. Jolly, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Stacey. Pleasure to be here. So, seems like much of our topic today is going to be on uh, an urban investment strategy. A lot of people may not even understand what that is. So can you just go a little deeper into what your focus and your strategy is and really your history as well uh, with investing in urban communities? Sure. Um, you know, we have identified uh, when we started the company that we believe that there was a trend for uh, urbanization going forward. And what that really means is that uh, people want to congregate in dense locations where they can both live, work, and play uh, in the same environment. And we've seen that play out over the decades that CIM has been in existence as cities have really transformed into um, more and more people living in uh, the more dense urban locations, uh, more, more retailers focus on those locations, more office tenants focus on those locations. And we believe that when you have all of that ecosystem of residents, retailers, and employers all looking to locate together within these urban communities, we think that creates a really compelling ecosystem that is of greater value to every component of that ecosystem, right? It makes it makes living in that neighborhood better, it makes working in that neighborhood better, and it makes setting up businesses to sell to residents better in those environments as well. And so what we try to do in our investment focus is let's try to identify those urban communities that we think are continuing to improve. Which neighborhoods are going to be better five to 10 years from now? And let's try to figure out what's driving those communities. And then ultimately, let's concentrate all of our capital across our various platform of funds into those communities where we have the, the potential to be a catalyst for improvement, uh, to be able to meet the unmet needs of those communities, and hopefully deliver outsized returns as well to our investors across each of our strategies. Okay, so when I think about that, I'm, I'm assuming here, uh, Jolly, that uh, a lot of other real estate companies might be doing the same thing. Uh, if that's the case, what is the, the unique approach 
uh, from CIM's perspective to urban real estate? What do you bring to the table? And you just mentioned a few of, of those things just then, but uh, what else would you say about your, your approach that's different yeah, than no, I, think, I think it's a great question, Stacey, because, you know, I think most managers in our space will say, hey, we focus on the top markets here in the U.S., and, um, you know, we, we invest in uh, sort of spending time around the locations that we want to be in. Um, and what's a little bit different about us is just the level of granularity that we go into. So, for example, many managers may say we, we invest in the top 10 MSAs, right? You know, what we, what we say is that we invest in the same markets that generally the broader real estate manager universe is focused on, um, but we drill into, a, into much more detail around where exactly we want to be. So let's take Los Angeles, for example. It's a gateway market. A lot of managers focused on it. We, what we do is we break down every MSA into what we call qualified communities. And in Los Angeles, for example, we have 18 qualified communities. And that also includes large areas of Los Angeles that we just don't invest in. So to give you that sense, right, there's clearly a very granular approach to what are the neighborhoods that we want to be investing in, why. Um, and then we have this very distinct approach around how we actually qualify a community. So there's really five characteristics that we're looking for. <clears throat> the first is, you know, we want to see that there's improving demographics in a market, uh, in a sub-market. And, you know, normally many managers will focus on that, you know, hey, is there population growth? Is there income growth? Um, but really what we're looking for is the composition of that. What's causing more educated, higher earners to live in these areas? Um, is it because their employers are locating there? Is there a reason those employers need to be there? Do we believe in those industries that are really supporting that employment growth? And do we believe that that's going to continue? And so we're really doing a lot of analysis around what are the main demand drivers of this particular small community within the larger MSA? And do we believe that those drivers are going to continue to create more demand for this particular community going forward? On top of that, we're looking for public commitment to improving the community. So uh, by that, we mean we... We have a long history of uh, developing and improving communities, and we know that we can only be effective if all of the stakeholders of that community are on board with what we want to accomplish. We are not interested in pushing forward an agenda that's not supported by the community. And so uh, that comes in many forms. That comes in the, in the form of community members uh, providing support and encouragement for what, the projects that we want to complete. It also involves uh, city officials providing maybe it's uh, funding for transportation that makes areas more accessible uh, to the broader MSA. It could be as simple as tax incentives provided to businesses to locate there. And all of that is really the, the support that we're looking from the public to be able to encourage uh, more private investment and more um, residents, retailers, and employers to locate them. Um, in the same way that we're looking for public investment, we're also looking for private investment. And so that's where 
you know, you would see the CIMs of the world coming in and investing and creating new projects. But we don't want to be the only one. We actually prefer to have other managers investing capital in the community because our view is that when there's additional capital improvements coming into the neighborhood, it's creating, again, a catalyst for improvement, which is allowing that neighborhood to really get much better and much faster. And really, this is a virtuous cycle, in our opinion. As, as you make the neighborhood more appealing to new residents to come in, that, again, allows employers to want to locate there and more retailers to want to locate there, which in turn creates a better environment for residents to locate there again, right? And so it's this virtuous cycle that we're trying to create and feed into, which is ultimately um, unique about how we look at and think about our communities. And then the last two things that I think are really important to emphasize is um, we're looking for areas that are underserved by real estate and infrastructure. And so we don't want to come into a community where there's nothing that we can add to it to make it better. Um, and so we want to bring our platform to that community and then create uh, whether it's new real estate or new infrastructure to be able to really support that growth that we, we envision for that community. And then the last thing is that we know that in the, in the vein of that idea of catalyzing and creating growth and change in a community, uh, we know that that comes really from opportunistic investments where we're doing maybe heavy repositioning, uh, ground up development. Um, and what we try to do is look at these communities where we have the potential to put in at least a hundred million of opportunistic equity investments within five years. Because we know that if we can do that, we can help spur and create the, the improvement within those communities that will help support the growth of that community. And so um, really it's that sort of five-pronged approach, which is really unique about how we look at uh, identifying uh, urban communities that we want to invest in. And then once we have that framework nailed down, we try to then again, bring all of the capital that we have across our platform into those communities. So that's opportunistic equity, it's value-add equity, it's core equity, but it's also our lending platform where we're providing debt for um, you know, existing assets and construction projects, as well as our infrastructure platform. And by just sort of concentrating all of the, the capital um, into these communities, again, we feel like we have the potential to create outsized growth um, and that's really played out in our history because these qualified communities have really grown faster and appreciated faster than the broader uh, United States because of this uh, sort of concentrated approach that we bring in identifying and, and putting capital into these neighborhoods. So no, another way to say that, once you have, uh, once you have identified that area uh, and you're going to make an investment there. You you don't play around. You you throw you throw everything at it to assure its success. Okay, so let's get into a little bit more of the specifics, real estate wise. So you identify these markets, these communities. Uh, you recognize that there's uh, that you want to play there. Now, now, what is it exactly that you buy or develop? In other words, what type of real estate are you investing in? Yeah, so we are, and this is, I think, another really important component of our business, right? We're product agnostic. And what I mean by that is, you know, because everything starts from the community, what we're really trying to do is figure out what's actually missing in that community. What is the unmet need? And 
because we believe in that community's growth, we are really then betting on there being a supply demand mismatch in a particular asset class in that community. And that's what we're trying to figure out. And so by being sector agnostic, that allows us to be able to invest in whatever the community needs. And um, so we have a, a long history of investing in office, in retail, in residential. Um, I think I sort of highlighted those three in, in my earlier remarks. But we've also invested in hospitality, entertainment, industrial, um, mixed use assets, which are very prevalent in urban environments. And so I think that's very important is just having that expertise across all of those asset classes to then be able to say what's really compelling about this community is that it's missing X, Y, and Z, and we are good at doing all of those things. So we can go and bring that into this neighborhood, make it better, and deliver uh, what, what we think is a product that's, again, aligned with that unmet need, which should hopefully, again, outperform because of our analysis around that supply-demand mismatch. And you're large enough and experienced enough to be able to execute on all of these different uh, asset types, no matter what the need is. That's right. I mean, that's actually um, sort of the, the the other big differentiator of our company is that um, you know we are we are fully vertically integrated, and um, what that means is most managers in our space, you know, they have a an, an investments team which is really focused on on acquisitions and an asset management team, and then much of the the details around execution of business plan is really outsourced either through joint ventures or through third-party um, providers. And what's different about our business is that we are fully vertically integrated. So what I mean by that is, of course, we have an investments team that's focused on acquisitions and asset management. Um, we have a property management team, leasing, development, construction, um, and, and portfolio management. And so all of these resources are in-house. And what that allows us to do is to, uh, from from soup to nuts, basically complete uh, the sourcing of an, of, an, of an acquisition, the underwriting, complete the acquisition, complete the financing, take care of all of the ongoing management and value creation of the business plan that we're implementing, um, all the way through disposition, and to do it with our team that's entirely in-house. And we think that that is a tremendous advantage, mainly because one, you know, I think the main thing is it creates alignment. So we're all on the same team, one team, one dream, in terms of going and executing. Um, so there's really no finger pointing around what it is that we want to accomplish. It's the same team that stays on from acquisition through disposition, right? So there's no handoff. And again, finger pointing of, well, um, no, you underwrote it the wrong way, or no, you didn't execute the business plan the right way, right? It's it's that same team coming together from beginning to end. And then it's bringing that full expertise across all of these various categories um, to be able to have the right resources and expertise to make the right decisions, right, um, on the front end, and then make the right decisions as we're actually going and implementing our business plans across all of our investments. So I think that is again another important real distinction that we have relative to some of our peers in the space. Yeah. 
Um, I think you've answered this question, but just to be clear, the, the, you know, the wide range of asset types that you focus on, uh, and you're saying you don't outsource that work, uh, everything is done from inside the CIM organization. That's right. Yeah. So all of those um, asset classes that we talked about that we um, that we invest in, we have expertise across each one of those asset classes, as well as all of the functions that are required to effectively manage and create value within real assets. And that's really important to have that all of that expertise in house, um, so we can you know uh, take advantage of that. When we're when we're looking at opportunities uh, to make investments. Okay, so uh, we'll we'll finish with this, uh, Jolly. So obviously, COVID has been a disruptor. Uh, it's changed uh, a lot of uh, uh, investment strategies. It's changed our lives. Um, now we're talking urban here. So uh, you know, when things like social distancing and wearing masks and things like that come up. Uh, how has COVID impacted uh, your strategy, your urban strategy, um, and ha has it negatively impacted it all at this point, and do you foresee any impact in the future? Yeah, no, it's a great question and really the question facing our industry at the moment, right? And what I would say there is, uh, so first, you know, let's recognize the human element of, of COVID, right? I mean, it was really sobering early this week to see the headline that the deaths in the U.S. had surpassed half a million. Um, and that's, you know, that's family members, friends of all of ours that are passing. And, you know, just really um, a sad, sad state for many, many of our, of our neighbors and, and our peers here in the U.S., and I would add on to that one more thing, which I think is also important for, for all of our listeners to really just keep in mind is this has really been a tale of two pandemics, right? It's been, it's been a relatively um, inconvenient uh, effect on maybe you and I, Stacey, right? We can go and work from our homes and still be just as productive. Um, and yet there's a large portion of our workforce that has really struggled, right? Because they're either in the service industry, they're not able to go to work, they're trying to make their ends meet. There's real food insecurity in the in the world today for many of the people who are neighbors. And so I would just encourage, you know, all of the listeners here to really, you know, we talk about, for example, ESG in investing, right? And what better moment is there at this point in time for the social impact impact that we can make with, you know, across our communities, across our markets, than what we're seeing with, with COVID today, right? And so I would just really encourage, I know many of the financial advisors that, that you all work with are in positions where we are, um, we are in a position to help and we really should, right? And so um, I'll get off my soapbox and, and go to answering your question because it's obviously relevant, right? Um, you know, we are we are always uh, thinking now about what is the impact here of COVID across our strategy. And what I would tell you is that, you know, there's been a number of things that uh, the pandemic has really, um, you know, uh, caused and, and accelerated um, with its impacts, right? So, so one is that, you know, there's, there's been themes around, for example, um, the rise of e-commerce and um, what that effect is having having on a brick and mortar. And we view that as a real systemic change. 
and um, has been incredibly um, enhanced, expedited by the impacts of, of the pandemic, and we think is only going to be a trend that will continue, um, which really obviously um, impacts our view of uh, certain types of retail and, of course, uh, on the positive side of, uh, of industrial. There's also other themes that um, have been happening and things that we've been paying attention to across the United States. So, you know, we mentioned that we focus on these qualified communities in, you know, thriving um, and transitional urban markets across the United States. And we believe that there will be very compelling opportunities to invest coming out of the impacts of the pandemic. One of the trends that we've seen even pre-pandemic was a, um, a shift of, uh, of population and job growth from some of the um, higher cost, higher tax markets um, to lower cost, lower tax markets um, with higher affordability. And so there have been real um, winners in terms of markets that have come out of the pandemic, like Phoenix, Nashville, Denver, Austin, um, you hear every day now of corporate uh, relocations being considered from some of these higher tax, higher cost locations to, you know, areas like Florida to Texas. And so those markets are going to be tremendous beneficiaries of um, some of that job migration and population migration. Um, there's also been real debate in our industry around what does this mean for urban versus suburban? And of course, given our, um, our strategy and focus around these uh, denser urban communities, um, we're really at the heart of that debate with our investment strategy. And our view very clearly is that, you know, there have always been tremendous reasons for why people have been moving into these urban areas over the last several decades. And those reasons are, you know, you have cultural institutions, you have um, density around uh, retailers and restaurants. There's uh, tremendous amenities, transportation to be able to, to move around within these cities and to enjoy the amenities that these cities have to offer. And unfortunately, with uh, the pandemic, all of the things that make these cities great um, are actually, you know, a detriment for living in, in that environment at the moment, right? Because you're not able to enjoy any of those. You're paying a higher rent to be able to live in those areas. Um, and so that's why you've seen in the short term, you know, people moving uh, out of some of these urban areas into, you know, other locations. Our view is that it's not that they're all going to move to the suburbs. It's that they will move to other urban areas in throughout the United States. And that's where you're seeing those cities like Phoenix, Nashville, Denver, and Austin really benefiting from residents coming into their urban environments um, and having increased uh, population growth as well as job growth, even through the pandemic, which is really interesting, right? And you take a market like Austin and through the pandemic, office using jobs have actually increased 5%. Uh, between pre pre pandemic to today, which is really remarkable, right? And helps you really uh, understand then when you think about the fundamentals of some of these markets, that as people start to come back to the office and occupy their spaces, you know, those markets that have had that fundamental improvement in, in terms of that job growth and population growth 
are going to bounce back fastest. And so it's, it's really spending time and energy around analyzing what's driving these trends, what is here to stay versus more temporary, um, and then using that to inform our decision-making around where we want to concentrate our capital and, and our investments. And so that's really been how we've shifted our thinking with the effects of the pandemic to be more thoughtful around how we want to invest, where we want to invest now, um, both with the short-term and the long-term in mind. So we talked a little bit about these secondary growth cities that have really benefited. It's not to say that there isn't going to be opportunity in these larger gateway cities, too. Um, there will be opportunity to buy in at an attractive basis, um, to make a long-term bet on the rebound of those cities, which are really have unique propositions to them. Um, and so it's just being thoughtful around um, what is the right entry point into those markets? Where is the opportunity in the next you know, three to five years across these various growth and um, gateway markets? And then being um, just being very thoughtful around placing capital and, and investing in each of those neighborhoods. And wh where are you seeing some of the best opportunities for CIM? What, what specific communities are you seeing the opportunities in right now? Yeah, so we are, I think, as I mentioned, um, spending a lot of time in some of these, um, in these more affordable growth cities in their urban environments. So, you know, some cities that come to mind, um, you know, Seattle, uh, Phoenix, Nashville, Denver, Austin, Dallas, Atlanta, Charlotte. Um, uh, and these are all markets that, you know, we really do believe will be beneficiaries of just some of the trends that have happened here. They were already seeing an, uh, a growing urbanization and renaissance of their um, urban communities throughout their MSAs pre-pandemic. And now with some of the effects of the pandemic, they've been actually the beneficiaries of uh, population migration into their cities job migration into their cities. And we think that that just sets themselves, those cities up very well uh, to continue to grow coming out of the pandemic. Well, fantastic, uh, Jolly. Unfortunately, we're, we're out of time uh, for today, but I feel like I know a lot more about uh, urban geographies, urban opportunities, uh, urban investment strategies today. Uh, now because we've had this conversation and I know our listeners will be better informed about it as well. It's, it is unique in that, you know, uh, a lot of times when you're speaking with a, a real estate investment manager, it's, it, you're, you may be talking asset class and it sounds like your, uh, your strategy is more complex than that. Uh, where it does take a lot of uh, in-depth analytical digging to find out, hey, exactly, you know, what is the absolute best opportunity, not just a good opportunity, but the absolute best opportunity. So I'm not surprised that that's happening over at CIM, uh, an outstanding organization, and uh, we hope you'll come back and join us again. I would love to. Thank you so much for having me, Stacey. I really enjoyed it. And uh I hope uh, we can do it again sometime soon. And if you want to know more about CIM, you can go to their website, cimgroup.com. Find out more there. And that's going to wrap things up for us today from inside the vault. 
Uh, to our listeners, we appreciate you joining us. Be on the lookout for future podcasts or visit our website at bluevaultpartners.com slash podcasts where you can see past episodes, past, past uh, uh, podcast episodes. The topics are still really relevant uh, to today. So with that, that'll do it. Thank you again very much to CIM and Jolly. And uh, have, have fun on the, uh, on the golf uh, course sometime later this week, Jolly. I'll try working at it. Thanks, Stacey. All right. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.